Anyway, so you're listening to Shift Happens on Kootenai Co-op Radio in Nelson, B.C., 93.5 FM. My name is Jeff. And I'm Anna. Mm-hmm. And today, we've been talking and reading and just kind of canoodling, as a friend of mine says, about the whole idea that... Um, you know, we all like to complain about big corporations or big government and, and what's going on in the world. But the reality is that those big entities could not do what they do unless the people in them were willing to go along with it. Um, mm-hmm. And so we found a couple of stories about people standing up to really large organizations, both government and private corporations. We touched on it a little bit on the weekend, but we thought, you know, this is good subject matter to, yeah. to do officially for the Tuesday and then it gets re-aired on Sunday. So that's why we're doing it. Yeah. I mean, we all talk about, you know, being the change we want to see in the world. And the reality is that if you want the world to change, you have to take steps in your own life. And that means not doing things that you know are not in the collective best interest. Mm-hmm. And that sometimes is really tough. I mean, that sometimes jeopardizes your job or or your relationships. It's It's hard to do. But that's how change happens. That's how shift happens. And the really oh, yeah. cool thing is that sometimes you discover that there are a whole pile of other people out there that agree with you and will back you, and you discover you're not alone. And mm-hmm. I think that's a really cool cool way to live. Anyway, um, maybe I'm an idealist, but... Uh, I think so. Painfully so. <laughs> oh, gee, thanks. Well, it takes one to know one, right? Yeah. Uh, that's the problem. When you're an idealist, you're always disappointed, <laughs> right? Well, not but not always. always. Not exactly, always. not always. So, yeah, I um, I read this newsletter quite frequently from an organization called Future Crunch, and they're a bunch of techies mostly, mm-hmm. and they um, they write about good news stories, and that's why I appreciate them because sometimes it's. Good news stories with teeth, not... Well, yeah, real good news stories. Yeah, because, I mean, we've subscribed to a few magazines that talk about the positive things, but you can really tell when they're reaching. stretching, yeah, Yeah, sometimes. They they want things to be better than they actually are, but these guys seem to really have their their Mm -hmm. finger on the pulse, so it's kind of cool. So if anybody out there is interested in Mm -hmm. a really good online newsletter... You can subscribe to it, get it in your inbox, in your email. It's, uh, if you go to Future Crunch, but the... It's, That's like Captain Crunch, except Future instead of, yeah. It's it's actually kind of a confusing um, way they do it. It's mm-hmm. Future Crunch, but the it's C-R-U-N dot C-H. Ah. Instead of futurecrunch.com or whatever, it's Future Crun dot Ch. So, anyway, and subscribe to their newsletter. You won't regret it. 
And we'll put the link on the website, too, in case you couldn't get that all down. Just always come to shifthappens.media. Yeah. And, and all I, the good and cool stuff that we are sharing with you guys is available there. Or if you're, yeah, if you're not interested in going on the website, you can always email us at contact.shifthappens at gmail.com. I created a new email address because my other one with GoDaddy was somewhat buggy. So We don't recommend GoDaddy as a <laughs> provider. No. So that's... Moving our accounts at the end of the year. So we would love to hear from our listeners about story ideas, about, well, whatever you want to talk about, questions. I mean, people sometimes phone into the studio and ask us for contact info for people that we've interviewed or whatever, and I'm always happy to answer those questions. Just email me at contact.shifthappens at gmail.com. And, okay, so... The the one story that we wanted to talk about, this one is uh, from the tech industry. And, you know, I don't usually think of Google as being the good guys. Yeah, it's true. But, but and again, in this story, the good guys are the techs. They're the, the people who work for Google, not the head executives. So mm-hmm. what Google had done was sign a contract with the Pentagon uh, called Project Maven. And um, it started a whole pile of internal dissent. And that was back in 2017 in September. And uh, what ended up happening by January of 2018, at least a dozen different teams knew about Project Maven. So these are teams of employees within Google. By the way, I'm getting all of this from a an online magazine called Jacobin, J A C O B I N. Jap- the the email address or the web address is jacobinmag.com. Uh, an interesting online magazine as well. Anyway, so uh, the workers did eventually force Google to cancel any further contracts with the Pentagon. And that took them, ooh, like almost eight months, I guess. Mm-hmm. But they did it. And so I wanted to tell the story. I think it's, it's lovely and inspiring. A whole group of Googlers from several di- different parts of the company, cloud, AI, communications, the Google Brain team, and DeepMind, among others, strongly objected to this Google uh, or t- to Project Maven. And um, I thought it was interesting how the whole group of them initially became aware of one another. And that was because when Trump got elected, they were afraid they were going to be forced to create a um, Muslim database, right? Because he said that he was going to do that. And so they began organizing in preparation for opposing any work on that. Um, And then... This came up, and uh, they sprung into action. But so, they were in the dark for quite a while, right? They were doing the work, they the, didn't the programming know behind the scenes, but they didn't know what the project actually well, was. Well, there were a few people within the company that tweaked right away. It took the rest of the company several months to right. to get on board. But they did eventually get the the word out, and that was by using their internal social media platform, which I thought was interesting. You know, they they don't use Facebook or any of the public social medias, but they 
they do have an internal social media platform. So they mm-hmm. started to share about the fact that they were actually working on this uh, military project and they weren't happy about it. Um, so, um, and it just took one or two dissenters to to get the ball rolling. Yep. Yeah, the company's how it human starts. resources and ethics compliance team dismissed the concerns of the employees, but within a couple of months, it was clear that the Googlers' efforts weren't going to go anywhere. So, right. they really started coordinating themselves using the social media platform. They posted on that and got a whole pile of responses. A lot of employees that didn't realize what was going on reacted strongly. Uh, Diane Green, who is the head of Google Cloud, stepped in and tried to tamp things down basically by lying. They told Management never lies, <laughs> yeah. though. Management told the employees that it was just a tiny little contract, no big deal, um, but it came out in the press that it was actually a, um, basically an audition for a much larger project, which was scary indeed. Um, and if people have seen the Terminator, Jeff tells me it's like yeah, Skynet. Well, yeah. When you read it, read it to me a couple of days ago, I'm thinking this is Skynet. That's yeah. exactly what they're describing. So the space force, right? Yeah, they wanted yeah. to develop a space army. Yeah. So Zig Heil to the Führer. And this is something to keep your ears open for because I don't think that's going to go away. I think that I mean yeah. the, these techs are determined to to um, obstruct whatever they can, s- s- certainly within Google, but also they're trying to organize with other techs in other companies, yeah. but it is something that the public is going to have to keep their eyes and ears open for. But it's like we discussed before, the power of this is that there are employees with Google around the planet, and it's the same for many of these other yes. tech companies. They've hired people from around the globe, and again, these are not stupid people. Are they going to write code for something that they know Ultimately, that is going to be used against them. Yeah, but, you know, this all got started in the States by Americans, and they just felt that it was wrong, and they stood up, and dozens of them actually quit because they refused to work on this project, Mm -hmm. and that was partly what it took to um, get through, but they just kept hammering at management and asking questions and making it clear that they were not going to cooperate with this project. Mm-hmm. Um, there were people who said, look, we left the Defense Department so they wouldn't have to work on things like this. And here comes Google subcontracting to the Defense Department. So it um, it did take this sort of the tech-savvy organization of these people, these Mm -hmm. employees of of Google, who knew how to get the word out to their fellow employees. But it also took persistence, and it took people being willing to to really continue to press. Mm -hmm. And uh, Google eventually agreed, just this last, I think the end of May, beginning of June, 
they agreed to not take any more contracts with the Defense Department. We hope. We hope. So, Because liars change their tune after a while, too. Well, you can be sure that these employees have... uh, have them in their sights and they will be vigilant. Um, They have also organized uh, themselves into what they call the tech workers coalition. And they are right now only based in San Francisco, Seattle areas. Mm, Yeah, but there's the majority of the techs are in Mm -hmm. that particular part of the world. So, so, we thought, you know, Hey, this is a really cool thing Mm -hmm. and a, a really good example of, you know, I mean, I myself, I've, I've looked at Facebook and Google and all of these people, and I think to myself, you know, they developed this stuff, face recognition software, all of this, this technology that's really being used against the population. Yeah, I mean, it could be wonderful what these technologies are. They could mm-hmm. help society and all of that, but we all know when it falls into the wrong hands, when the motivation behind it isn't coming from a good place, well, then it becomes a weapon. Hey, speaking of, something else we we wanted to talk about. We saw a movie last night called The Circle. Mm -hmm. And this is a movie pretty much about a corporation like Google Mm -hmm. where they are trying to create transparency in government and society and they basically want everybody to volunteer to have a completely transparent life, no secrets. And, um, you know, on, on one hand, I don't really have any issue with that because I, I, like many others I've heard, say, well, I don't really feel like I have anything to hide. On the other hand, I don't really want people prying when they haven't been invited. This was called voluntary transparency. So the idea was that you would basically wear a camera 24-7, except Mm -hmm. for a few minutes here and there in the bathroom or whatever, moments where you would need Mm -hmm. privacy and where people would prefer that you had privacy. Mm -hmm. Uh, Other than that, the idea was that it would be completely transparent. The thing that came out is that that only works if everybody, including the people at the tops of these corporations, are willing to be transparent. And and this is where they got into trouble with in Google because the the management was lying. The CEO, the the um, board of the company was lying to the employees about what their real goals were. Um and so, you know, in a sense, I think transparency is a really good thing. If, imagine if, if the prime minister had a camera and you could listen to every phone call, read every email, and be in on every meeting. I mean, really. But <laughs> that would be. But that would never happen. It would be impossible for them to do. Exactly, but the that wrong would never thing. happen. But so they they turn us into public commodities, our information, our secrets. Yeah. But they're not willing to share theirs. Yeah, I watched some footage a couple of weeks ago where they interviewed uh, Mark Zuckerberg, and they basically asked him. They said, "Will you share what hotel you yeah. stayed in last night?" And he said, "And no. he said no." 
And it's like, but it's okay for all the billions of users of Facebook to share all of that data. And then that gets shared with whoever they want so that they can make a buck off of it. It's, yeah, yeah it, the, it has to go both ways. It just does. Yeah. I would have really liked to have uh, a camera on Trudeau in the private meetings where he decided to buy the Kinder Morgan pipeline. Yeah. Like, what really happened there? I mean, I, I've admitted on the show long ago that I did not vote for the man. But I thought, in the end, I thought that his heart was in the right place, but unfortunately the problem is big money makes all the decisions and so yes we elect whoever we want as our figurehead for government but it's the ones pulling the strings behind the scenes that are really determining what's happening and it's totally crazy why Canada would fork over that kind of money but they've signed all kinds of secret deals with different countries trade deals trade deals whether it's china or the states whatever i know trump is calling a lot of that stuff into question but still um so we never really know what's going on and all i can say is much as i hate it i'd rather have the lesser of two evils in office than the, the yeah. really bad ones except when the really bad ones are in power it tends to motivate people to get up and do something. And again, we've said this on the show many times, that's the strength of Donald Trump. Yep. He's, uh, well, he's an appearingly horrible man, but the fact that he is what he is and he makes no bones about it, people... Appearingly horrible, that's an interesting... <laughs> well, I think you that invented it. Yeah, that, that way I can, yeah, I can insult without actually officially... Right. Insulting. It's right. appearingly. Yes. <laughs> anyway. So Sorry for knocking yeah, you off No, no, that's fine. But that really is what it comes down to. And again, this is something we've said several times. If Obama was still in power, all of this stuff that, that we're talking about was going on behind the scenes while Obama was in power. Yeah. All but you have to do. Face yeah. Watch the movie Snowden. Do some research and you'll realize that Obama was in the thick of all of that. Yeah. But because he could deliver a great speech and because he made everyone feel warm and fuzzy. We got complacent. Exactly. And so that's the strength of having these strong characters in power. And what I'd like to do is I'd like to play a song that is in dedication to Snowden. Okay. It was done by Peter Gabriel and it's called The Veil. And then after that is done, we'll be back. The Veil, Peter Gabriel. So that's Peter Gabriel, The Veil. You're listening to Shift Happens, The Empower Hour on Kootenai Co-op Radio. So we've been my name is Jeff. King and my name is Anna. <laughs> <laughs> we've been talking about technology and privacy and taking our power back and um, in relationship to Google and its employees refusing to work with the Pentagon in one instance and the movie The Circle. You guys mm -hmm. got to check that movie out. It, it was really good. 
it was on Netflix. I don't know where else you can find it. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, there, and we won't give away the the story, so no spoiler alert or anything. Yeah, we will try not to give away any. Yeah. I did sort I'm, of say I, a few things. Yeah, I, you're always bad at that. Sorry. I'm a good boy. I'm more of a movie buff than she is, and so. Well, yeah. I care about the information more than the drama, but yeah. Anyway, but you live with a drama I'm a, queen. I'm a geek. There you go. Anyway, mm-hmm. um, another speaking of being a geek, another magazine that I like to read is Wired, which is a technology magazine. I like to get Wired and coffee personally, but yeah. But they have a really interesting story uh, this month, which I wanted to share. Because it relates very much to what we've been talking about. And this story is about Barcelona. And Barcelona being one of the smartest in terms of technological infrastructure in the world. Mm -hmm. Um, They decided to turn it to be useful to the public rather than be simply a way to mine data. And so, really interesting um, usage. And so, I'm going to read a bit of this article. Uh, And the other thing that has been one of our private peeves for a while, and maybe sometimes not so private peeves, is is the need to reform democracy so that it actually reflects the the will of the people again. And I think this is a really cool... Not just democracy, but business. It's like I said on the weekend... We need to have social media that is governed by we the people, not by mm-hmm. some idiot at the top of the pile. And the information making collected. Hundreds of billions of dollars and selling us out. Yes, the information collected yeah. should belong to the people, not yeah. to the corporation. Anyway, so here we are. Um, in 2015, Ada Colo, I don't know how to pronounce her, her name, but it's C O L A U, an activist with no experience in government, became mayor of Barcelona. She called for a democratic revolution, and for the last two years, City Hall, working with civic-minded coders and cryptographers, has been been designing the technological tools to make it happen. Their efforts have centered on two things. The first is opening up governance through participatory processes and greater transparency. I mean, if you think about it, if we can have these online petitions that ask us about everything and they can instantly get feedback, why not actually run democracy that way? Because you don't want the government interfering with that. Where, I mean, electronic voting, how many times has it been manip- manipulated with, right? You still have to have a governing agency that keeps it honest sure, and fair. Sure, you do. But you could be finding yeah. out what people care about no, rather than I just totally, totally get it. saying what you're going to do when, yeah. when you get in power and then doing yeah. something completely different and nobody's got any say in the matter. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's my rant. Um, so the rant continues. <laughs> their efforts have centered on two things. The first is opening up government governance through participatory processes and greater transparency, and the second is redefining the smart city to ensure that it serves its citizens rather than the other way around. The group started by creating a digital participatory platform called Decidum, which is means we decide in Catalan. Now the public can participate directly in government as they would on social media by suggesting ideas, debating them, and voting with their thumbs. Decidum taps into the potential of social networks, the information spreading on Twitter or the relationships on Facebook. 
All of these apply to politics, and Asylum seeks to channel them while guaranteeing personal privacy and public transparency in a way these platforms don't. We're experimenting with a hybrid of online and offline participatory democracy, says Francesca Bria, Barcelona's chief technology and digital innovation officer. We used Decidum to create the government agenda. Over 70% of the proposals come directly from citizens. Over 40,000 citizens propose these policies. Now, remember, this is only in one city. So that's pretty high participation. Mm-hmm. And many more citizens were engaged in offline collective assemblies and consultations. Those proposals highlighted what Barcelona's citizens care about and thus what this government believes should be its, its focus. Affordable housing, energy transition, air quality, and public space top the list. So now they have their orders. City Hall is building the tools to address them. Colo's party, Barcelona on Camus, paints this bottom-up democracy as a neat inversion of how the city used to be run, top-down and technology first, rather than people first. That may be a little black and white, but what's certainly true is that when Colo came to power, she inherited one of the world's premier smart cities, the host of the annual Smart City Expo, and with dozens of sensor networks that drew data on transport, energy usage, noise levels, irrigation, all kinds of things. They probably drove the smart car, too. (laughs) As citizens lived their lives, data was continuously harvested and funneled into City Hall and private sector partners where it was analyzed for insight into how the city could be run more efficiently or used to develop services and products for sale. Now that data infrastructure is being repurposed. We are reversing the smart city paradigm, says Bria. Instead of starting from technology and extracting all the data we can before thinking about how to use it, we started aligning the tech agenda with the agenda of the city. Controlling these data flows is important for two reasons. For one, Barcelona and Camus believe that data produced by the citizens belongs to the citizens. So the old deals between City Hall and its private sector partners were breaching citizens' rights And the other reason is that when centralized governments and tech companies hoard data, it is both a security risk and a great waste of potential. In the right hands, this kind of data could do more for the public good. So, I won't go on and on and on, but Mm -hmm. it sounds to me like they are flipping the paradigm, and the same as what we were talking about with this movie, The Circle. What... What has been done to us is that we've had transparency imposed upon us. We can't assume privacy anywhere, anytime, anymore. Mm-hmm. But if we flip that and, well, okay, impose transparency upon the elector, yeah, well, elected officials. What crosses mm-hmm. my mind is, okay, there are many of us and only one of him. I'm thinking Zuckerberg, right? Right. If everybody, and I I mean, I am a dreamer here, but if everyone that used Facebook said, we're going to do something else unless you fork over 99% of your profits and disperse it. Well, I'm just saying, like, it's what really gets me in all of this is you have these individuals, and Zuckerberg is just one of several people in in that industry Mm -hmm. that extract all kinds of 
I mean, it's energy, it's money, it's power, all of that. And they're holding all the cards. Taken from the users. Exactly. And it's like the it ultimate is a parasite. resource that's being mined. Yes. And that resource should be going back to the people. Exactly. Who use the service. And so he has to live on $1 billion instead of hundreds of billions of dollars. Like, I, I know yeah. it's a hardship, but, you know. Yeah. Yes, well. That's my rant. We need to we need to start looking at these systems that are in place and ways that we can have them work for us instead exactly. of the other way around. Exactly. And there are things that have been p- implemented, things that have been put into into work. Okay, we have a different prime minister than the individual that we had before, and I think we all have to agree that. He's what we have now is Harper. is yeah, but the thing is, is Harper was responsible for developing all kinds of secret agencies that were set up to monitor us, and I've heard nothing in the media by Trudeau and company that says that they've removed all of those secret situations. Yeah, they said they were going to, but yeah, Bill C fifty one and all of that. Like it's all been pushed underneath the. The carpet, right? Or swept under the carpet. There are all kinds of things that have to be changed in order for us to have freedom. So here's an interesting thing. In this story, they're talking about um, Barcelona. Mm -hmm. City Hall is going further, creating technological tools that mean that citizens themselves can control the data they produce in the city and choose precisely who they share it with. It's called Project Decode, Decentralized Citizen-Owned Data Ecosystems. Hmm. That sounds interesting. Mm-hmm. So the, the, this is the reality. The people who are in these organizations rely upon those that are actually doing the work, the coders. Yep. If those people chose to use the tools they're producing in a way that's beneficial for the collective mm-hmm. rather than for the 1%. Hate to use that term. And it, and it also comes down to who decides if it's beneficial or not, right? If it's just a handful of individuals that are determining that it's good. Well, then yeah, if you have a, a system where you have public participation, yeah. then that data and where it goes is decided by the public that generates it. And that public has to be educated as well, because if you look at how the media has manipulated our minds, especially in the first world, mm-hmm. okay, so you can incorporate something like this in the States, for example, but they have been so heavily programmed by both sides of the equation that no one really knows what the truth is. Yeah. And that's why everything has polarized as much as it has. Because, at least this is my opinion, it's because they've been so manipulated and lied to. So how do you do that? How do you take it from where it is now to incorporating something like this in the States? Well, you know, it was interesting because um, in that movie, The Circle, he gave them these little cameras that they could place anywhere. Yeah. And um, they were cheap, and 
automatically connected into the network mm-hmm. to uh, download data. So, or upload data, I guess. Um, so they are doing this in Barcelona where they are giving people um, sensors to connect into the network and giving them uh, a choice about what kinds of data they collect mm-hmm. and what they do with the data. Mm-hmm. So it, it it's really not a problem. Always the technology itself is not the issue. It's how do we use that technology that is the issue. Exactly. Right? And you had a really good um, little clip uh, about social media and what's being done with social media data. Do you want to play that? Yeah, I think it's about 15 minutes in length, but uh, it is a good piece. It talks about the weaponization of social media. And we played something similar uh, on the well, I guess last Tuesday, yeah. but I think it would be good to play. And this play isn't that file. this isn't a harp on the negative, but this yeah. is to start the conversation about what's really being done with our data and our information, and and what do we want to do about that? Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think I'll play it, and then at the end we'll be back to say, say goodbye, say goodbye, and maybe play a tune or something. But I hope you enjoy it. It's called The Weaponization of Social Media. It didn't take long from the birth of the World Wide Web for the public to start using this new medium to transmit, collect, and analyze information in ways never before imagined. The first message boards and clunky Web 1.0 websites soon gave way to the blogosphere. The arrival of social media was the next step in this evolution, allowing for the formation of communities of interest to share information in real time about events happening anywhere on the globe. But as quickly as communities began to form around these new platforms, governments and militaries were even quicker in recognizing the potential to use this new medium to more effectively spread their own propaganda. Their goal? To shape public discourse around global events in a way favorable to their standing military and geopolitical objectives. Their method? The weaponization of social media. This is the Corbett Report. Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Snapchat, Instagram, Reddit. Social media as we know it today barely existed 15 years ago. Although it provides new ways to interact with people and information from all across the planet, virtually instantaneously and virtually for free, we are only now beginning to understand the depths of the problems associated with these new platforms. More and more of the original developers of social media sites like Facebook and Twitter admit they no longer use social media themselves and actively keep it away from their children. And now, they are finally admitting the reason why. Social media was designed specifically to take advantage of your psychological weaknesses and keep you addicted to your screen. You know, if the, if the thought process that went into building these applications, Facebook being the first of them to really understand it, that thought process was all about how do we consume as much of your time and conscious attention as possible. And that means that we need to sort of give you a little dopamine hit every once in a while um, because someone liked or commented on a photo or a post or whatever. 
and that's going to get you to contribute more content, and that's going to get you, you know, more likes and comments. I mean, it's a it's a val it's a social validation feedback loop, that that it's like a I mean, it's exactly the kind of thing that a that a hacker like myself would come up with because you're exploiting a vulnerability in in human psychology, and I just I, th I think that we you know we the inventors, creators, you know, and it's it's me, it's Mark, it's the you know Kevin Systrom and Instagram, it's all of these people um, understood this consciously, and we did it anyway. So that was the former president of Facebook, just so you know. I'm going to hit play again so you can continue to hear this excellent program. It should be no surprise, then, that in this world of social media addicts and smartphone zombies, the 24-7 news feed is taking up a greater and greater share of people's lives. Our thoughts, our opinions, our knowledge of the world, even our mood, are increasingly being influenced or even determined by what we see being posted, tweeted, or vlogged. And the process by which these media shape our opinions is being carefully monitored and analyzed, not by the social media companies themselves, but by the U.S. military. When the world's largest social media platform betrays its users, there's going to be outrage. There's a study to see whether Facebook could influence the emotional state of its users on that news feed. It allowed researchers to manipulate almost 700,000 users' news feeds. Some saw more positive news about their friends, others saw more negative. Well, I'm not surprised. I mean, we're all kind of lab rats in the big Facebook experiment. But it wasn't only Facebook's experiment. Turns out the psychological study was connected to the U.S. government's research on social unrest. This is really kind of creepy. Yeah. Yeah. And it gets worse. What you may not know is that the U.S. Department of Defense has reportedly spent roughly $20 million conducting studies aimed at learning how to manipulate online behavior in order to influence opinion. The initiative was launched in 2011 by the Pentagon's Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, otherwise known as DARPA. The program is best described as the U.S. media's effort to become better at detecting and conducting propaganda campaigns via social media. Translation, when anti-government messages gain ground virally, Washington wants to find a way to spread counter-opinion. The DARPA document that details the Pentagon's plans for influencing opinions in the social media space is called Social Media and Strategic Communication. DARPA's goal, according to their own website, is to develop tools to help identify misinformation or deception campaigns and counter them with truthful information. Exactly what tools were developed for this purpose and how they are currently being deployed is unclear, but Rand Walsman, the program's creator, admitted last year that the project lasted four years, cost $50 million, and led to the publication of over 200 papers. The papers, including Incorporating Human Cognitive Biases in a Probabilistic Model of Retweeting, Structural Properties of Ego Networks, and sentiment prediction using collaborative filtering make the thrust of the program perfectly clear. Social media users are lab rats being carefully scrutinized by government-supported researchers, their tweets and Facebook posts and Instagram pictures being analyzed to determine how information spreads online and, by implication, how the government and the military can use these social media networks to make their own propaganda go viral. 
As worrying as this research is, it pales in comparison to the knowledge that governments, militaries, and political lobby groups are already employing squadrons of keyboard warriors to wage information warfare in the social media battle space. The Pentagon's got a new plan to counter anti-American messages in cyberspace. It involves buying software that will enable the American military to create and control fake online personas. Fake people, essentially, who will appear to have originated from all over the world. The plan is being undertaken by CENTCOM, U.S. Central Command, and the objective of the online persona management service is to combat enemy propaganda by influencing foreign social media websites. CENTCOM has hired a software development company called Intrepid, and according to the contract, the California-based company will initially provide 50 user licenses, each of which would be capable of controlling up to 10 fake personas. U.S. law forbids the use of this type of technology called sock puppets against Americans, so all the personas will reportedly be communicating in languages like Arabic, Persian, and Urdu. So is it okay to have the government monitor social media conversations and then to wade in and correct some of those conversations? With more on this, let's go to technology expert Carmi Levy. He's on the line from Montreal. Carmi, uh, do you think the government's monitoring what you and I are saying right now? Is this whole thing getting out of line or what? It opens up a bit of a, a, bit of a question. I'd like to call it a Pandora's box of, uh, you know, what, is the, what exactly is the government's aim here? And what do they hope to accomplish with what they find out? And as they accumulate this information online, this data on us, um, um, you know, where does that data go? Uh, and so, you know, I think uh, as much as we should applaud the government for getting into this area, the optics of it are potentially very big brother-ish. Mm-hmm. Um, and the government really does need to be uh, a little bit more uh, concrete uh, on what its intentions are and how it, how it intends to uh, achieve this. New evidence that government-owned computers at the Army Corps of Engineers office here in New Orleans are being used to verbally attack critics of the Corps comes in an affidavit from the former editor-in-chief of NOLA.com. John Donnelly, who was laid off this past February, tells us via satellite from Texas, in late 2006, he started noticing people presenting themselves as ordinary citizens, defending the Corps very energetically. What stuck out, though, was the wording of the uh, comments was in many ways mirroring news releases from the Corps of Engineers. These commenters uh, tried to discredit uh, these people. And when Rosenthal investigated, she discovered the comments were coming from users at the Internet provider address of the Army Corps of Engineers offices here in New Orleans. She blamed the Corps for a strategy of going after critics. In the process of, of, of trying to obscure the facts of the New Orleans floodings, one of their tactics was just verbal abuse. Moetzet Yesha, in conjunction with My Israel, uh, has arranged an instruction day for wiki editors. The goal of the day is to um, teach people how to edit in Wikipedia, which is the number one source of information today in the world. As a way of example, if someone searches the Gaza flotilla, we want to be there. We want to be the guys who influence what is written there, how it's written, and to ensure that it's balanced and uh, Zionist in nature. These operations are only the visible and publicly admitted front of a vast array of military and intelligence programs that are attempting to influence online behavior, spread government propaganda, and disrupt online communities that arise in opposition to their agenda. That such programs exist is not a matter of conjecture. 
It is mundane, established, documented fact. In 2014, an internal document was leaked from GCHQ, the British equivalent of the NSA. The document, never intended for public release, was entitled The Art of Deception, Training for a New Generation of Online Covert Operations, and bluntly stated that we want to build cyber magicians. It then goes on to outline the magic techniques that must be employed in influence and information operations online, including deception and manipulation techniques like anchoring, priming, and branding propaganda narratives. After presenting a map of social networking technologies that are targeted by these operations, the document then instructs the magicians how to deceive the public through attention management and behavioral manipulation. That governments would turn to these strategies is hardly a shocking development. In fact, the use of government chills to propagate government talking points and disrupt online dissent has been openly advocated on the record by high-ranking government officials for the past decade. In 2008, Cass Sunstein, a law professor who would go on to become Obama's information czar, co-authored a paper entitled Conspiracy Theories, in which he wrote that the best response to online conspiracy theories is what he calls cognitive infiltration of groups spreading these ideas. Government agents, and their allies, might enter chat rooms, online social networks, or even real space groups, and attempt to undermine percolating conspiracy theories by raising doubts about their factual premises, causal logic, or implications for political action. In one variant, government agents would openly proclaim, or at least make no effort to conceal, their institutional affiliations. In another variant, government officials would participate anonymously, or even with false identities. It is perhaps particularly ironic that the idea that government agents are actually and admittedly spreading propaganda online under false identities is, to the less informed members of the population, itself a conspiracy theory rather than an established conspiracy fact. Unsurprisingly, when confronted about his proposal, Sunstein pretended to not remember having written it and then pointedly refused to answer any questions about it. My name is Bill DeBerg from Brooklyn College, and I know you wrote many articles, but I think the most telling one about you is the 2008 one called Conspiracy Theories, where you openly advocated government agents infiltrate activist groups of non love truth and also stifle dissent online. I was wondering, why do you think it's the government's job, or why do you think the government should uh, go after family members who have questions about 9-11, responders who are lied to about the air, survive, survivors whose testimony commits, and also government whistleblowers that were gagged because they released information that contradicts the official story. Why do you think the government should do that? I think, as, as Ricky said, I've written hundreds of articles, and I remember some and not others. That one I don't remember very well. I, I, I hope I didn't say that. Um, but whatever was said in that article, my role in government is um, to oversee federal rulemaking in a way that is uh, uh, wholly disconnected from the vast majority of my academic writing, including that. I just want to know, is it safe to say that you retract saying that conspiracy theory should be banned or taxed for having an opinion online? Is it safe to say remember that? that? I don't remember the article very well, yeah. so uh, I hope I didn't say either of those things. But it, you did, and, I, and it's written. Do you retract them? I'm focused on my jobs. Focused on his job. Isn't that how it all goes? 
anyway, on keeping his job instead of doing the moral yeah, thing. Yeah. As we've been talking about. Very common problem in our world. Anyway, you've, uh, or we have reached the top of the hour or close to it, and it's the end of our show. And what's coming up afterwards is amplifying voices of our community and what the Canuck. And so that's it. We're going to play a little Bruce Coburn to send us on our way. And we'll see you next week. And thanks for listening. Yeah, you've been and listening uh, to Shift Happens. I'm Jeff. And I'm Anna.